Happy Friday, pinball fanatics around the world. Welcome to episode 283 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. And we're going to talk about some things on, on, on this episode that you just can't look away from. Uh, there has been some amazingly awesome, dramatic, grab-the-popcorn threads going on on Pinside lately that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some of the pinball news happening in the world. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about Worlds Under Glass. There was a great episode of Straight Down the Middle Pinball where they talked about the top 10 Worlds Under Glass. Um, let's get right to it, right? Don't you wish every pinball podcast could get right to it the way we do? I know you do. I know you do. Look, our, even our intro music is like 10 seconds and we're in and we're hitting the ground running. All right. So there are two stories happening right now in the pinball world where I don't think I've seen two stories in which the people are digging themselves a ginormous hole on Pinside and with the community. And look, if there's one thing we know about Pinside, it's that it is a constant civil war going on on that site between all these different alpha male personalities. They love to beat the shit out of each other. But if I have one advice for people, it's don't ever become the person that unites Pinside, right? It, it is the last place where you want everyone to unite against you. And I think that is a strong lesson learned by a couple individuals I want to talk about right now. First individual, this is a man who decided that he wasn't satisfied with making money by creating all these different tools and innovations that you can find in the Home Depot, all of his successful businesses that he's run. This is a man that has decided to also step his toes into the pinball community and make a pinball book. 10 volumes of pinball books with um, uh, Mr. Todd Tucky from TNT Amusements. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Todd Tucky has been a personality in the coin-op uh, collectible restore community forever. Like, he is one of the founding fathers when it comes to creating content about the things you and I love pinball and classic arcade machines. I think a lot of us like both of those things. And TNT Amusements has been one of the uh, longest standing retailers of coin-op devices, okay? And, but it's, Todd's more than that. Todd's a personality. And Todd is a personality uh, that people love to watch. He tells off-color jokes at times. But as you listen to Todd and as you get to know him, you appreciate who he is and how he delivers his content. Because I think it's great, right? Now, as a collector of high-end arcades and pinball machines, uh, you know, whether or not TNT Amusements delivers, like they don't do like high-end restores like HEP or people like that. Um, but, but I guarantee you Todd has put games in the homes of thousands of people who are satisfied with what they got from him. So when word got out that Todd was going to make a 10-volume book series about pinball, people got really excited. Todd is a respected member of the community. Now, look, I'm not going to... You have to just read this thread. <laughs> this is probably 
one of the greatest pin side threads of all time where you should just make some popcorn, grab a whiskey, and just read. It's only 10 pages right now. It's not that long, but it is probably 10 of the most entertaining pages ever, all right? Now, so here's what happened apparently. So Todd is making this book with this individual called Andrew, uh, I want to say McBain, and, and this guy Ryan. And they're making this book and they finally get the first volume out. And apparently it arrives at people's homes uh, with paper quality that people are saying is worse than toilet paper. All right. And so when it arrives in this horrible quality paper, people also realize that the book itself is so poorly edited that there are multiple chat like there are the same chapters printed multiple times there's spelling mistakes there's grammar mistakes there's um they got games wrong in certain parts of the book and so it's like this finger pointing of of why is this game or i'm sorry why is this book so poorly published and you got Andrew, who's who's blaming Todd, saying, hey, you know, well, Todd wanted me to print it exactly the way he wanted it printed. And then people are like, well, you're an idiot, though, bro. Like, you're the publisher. You're supposed to edit the thing before it goes out. Um, so here's I want to read some of the more colorful stuff uh, that was written about this <laughs> this whole drama. Uh, let me read this like word for word. Uh, this is from. Let's see. Doo -doo -doo. All right. This is from Andrew McBain. He writes, and if you knew me and understood that I have for the past year been watching almost all of Todd's videos and the toilet humor I was referring to was the several times that Frank called the book toilet paper before it even came out. Not a great marketing campaign I was hoping for. Then to disrespect the book and use it as a machine leveler in another video. Now that is just damn rude. Now this is Andrew the publisher talking about what Todd was doing in his TNT videos with the book. Now here's the thing. You know that Todd is going to take the piss out of stuff and him using something as, as, a, as a game leveler is something he's done for a while and it's just a joke in the show. All right, so then someone else chimed in and said, Todd is a legend. Andrew, you are a nobody and have no built-up goodwill or respect in this community to bank on. Todd does, and you, sir, are responsible for the poorly printed final product, not Todd. Blame Todd, fine. Blame Pinside, fine. We are used to it. But I think it is time you start looking in the mirror as nobody in pinball is going to give you a dime now that one of our own is not involved and you have already botched the first printing. God, even your name, Andrew, sounds familiar as being a pinball shit show. Oh, my God. He goes on to say, feel free to let us know your other businesses so we can avoid. And, hey, PM me. I have a hydrofoil idea for you to invest in. Oh, man. Like, God damn, man. Like, if, if your name is simple, simply Andrew, people are going to think you're Andrew Highway 2.0. Uh, but here's the thing. Look, I totally like get the whole it's you against pinside mentality and no one's gonna buy a pinball book unless someone from the pinball community that pinside loves is is involved um look pinside 
loves to do this. They love to throw their weight around. Look, I think there could be a successful pinball uh, book that doesn't involve anyone that's on pin side. Like that could very easily happen. You know why that could happen very easily? Because almost every major pinball manufacturer is not on pin side. Uh, but Todd is on pin side. And I do think that pin side is correct here. That this guy, for some unknown reason, decided to try and make a quick buck uh, by jumping into the pinball world. And I think that was a mistake. And, and the other thing too is people were pointing out is is this guy made a a rake that cleans your gutters and someone posted this image it's amazing it's a rake that clean your gutters and this guy wrote a review of his own product in which he gives it a five-star review now look if you're doing that sincerely on a um, you know a site that's selling your product that is unethical and immoral and just downright pathetic. Now, if you're like Canada and you give your own podcast glowing reviews on iTunes, it's much different, right? It is because I'm doing it ironically and irreverently and you know it's me doing it. And also the funny part about me giving my own podcast a glowing review is that it's free. It doesn't matter. What is a what is an iTunes review of a pinball podcast even matter, right? I'm not trying to take your money, am I? That being said, if you haven't left a review for Canada's Pinball Podcast, please go to iTunes and please share your honest feedback of the show. All right, but here's my favorite thing, and I want to thank I want to thank Andrew McBain. All right, I really want to thank him from the bottom of my heart because I I think until this guy surfaced, I think a lot of you out there considered me to be the biggest douchebag in the pinball community. I really do. I think a lot of you out there thought that I was nothing more than a spoiled brat, show-off, who doesn't really care about pinball. And I think probably now, 283 pinball podcasts later, you finally probably appreciate a little bit of what I do for the community. But I want to thank Andrew because he wrote this post on Pinside. And if this is not the douchiest post ever put on Pinside, I don't know what is. He wrote the following. He wrote, curious, why did you not mention that I'm a first that I am first to fourth class engineer by trade that has built two buildings, have opened over seven companies that have employed over three hundred people. That Google Maps search will show you, yes, one of my three homes all paid for, all 5,000 square feet of it. Dragon's Den, not once, but twice. And it is over 100 products that I'm sure some of you have bought in Home Depot. Over 10,000 a year to charity for kids from our company. And yes, world traveler. This all wrapped up with a successful marriage and six amazing kids. How could you miss these trivial facts? But I'm a scam artist in the book department. Okay, see how silly this sounds. I mean, literally. Literally, where do you think you are, Andrew? You're on pin side. Talking to people who come to a forum every day and just want to talk about pinball. They don't want to know how big your penis is. They don't want to know how great your marriage is. They don't want to know how, how, how many kids you have, how many countries you visited. The fact of the matter is, you delivered a piece of shit pinball book to pinball people. 
you printed it on toilet paper and you you have been mudslinging one of the individuals who is seen as a founding father of this entire hobby you're nobody so you need to just not air your dirty laundry on pin side you need to just close the book down you need to just go away right just go away i mean it's just like there's nothing more for for us to see from you and there's nothing more for you to see from us and look it sounds like you're so successful that you don't even need any of the revenue from this little pinball book that you were trying to do and you're probably going to wake up in a week and regret all the things you wrote on pin side now i hope for god i hope sorry i hope to god that one thing happens that the pinball community decides to let you off the hook because let me tell you something i again like i know i make fun of pin side every once in a while and there's the certain trolls on there you all know who they are but if there's one community i would never want to upset and turn into like complete enemies of me it would be some of the individuals on there because let me tell you that perfect house those perfect kids the perfect wife the perfect job the perfect company these motherfuckers will like disrupt that and you'll curse the day that you ever came to pinside's shores and started talking shit about some of those people i'm just telling you money you know these people in their ivory towers who think they're like beyond reach of, of of trolls on internet forums are always always in for a rude awakening all right all right so thank you though for for taking away the title of biggest douchebag and and putting it on your head now speaking of uh another story about a pinsider who just continues to dig a hole it, this one is just really it, it never ends i mean and this is one of the individuals that we called out a long time ago uh for really nefarious uh business statements and personal statements and social statements and in the end mike from home pin this guy lives with a shovel in one hand and he is just endlessly digging himself a hole and i i don't understand it like literally you know it, there's there's some weird thing in mike's head where he thinks that transparency and telling you the truth is how you should run a business okay now he's wrong uh every major company out there has things that they keep private for a reason every single business leader keeps things private for a reason like for example if i'm leading a company and i think that someone could do more um yeah i could just be transparent and upfront and be like hey scott like what the fuck, bro like you're not really pulling your weight around here and what are you doing or you could find a different way to motivate Scott to become a high performer, right? And so Andrew went off and said the following. I want to read this because I think this sort of summarizes the the end of the journey of HomePin. And, 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 and this show has always accurately predicted how these companies would do, how they would do in the marketplace. And I want to just read... Um, what Mike said. He said, you know what? We're not able to uh, build in a, something about a time frame of building. He said, we are not stern and we don't make 40 plus games a day. We don't make anywhere near that many in a month. Okay, let's just stop at that sentence. They can't even make 40 pinball games in a month or anywhere near that. All right, okay. So what does that mean? That means they can't really... It, 
anywhere near that means he's probably talking like 15, maybe, maybe 10. So they can't even make a game a day. All right, so he's got a 20-person staff in-house at HomePin. But remember, this guy's making like everything internal. So why would Mike go off years ago, spend millions of dollars to recreate a pinball company, make all these parts, make it in China, you know, do all this laborious work where he's millions of dollars in the hole and he can't even make a game a day at the end of that journey. That's where he's at. And, you know, look, I mean, okay, I'll go on. He says, the simple facts are we don't, if we don't pursue some new sales whilst also delivering to pre-order buyers and delivering new products, we will fold. How about that for no PR ball? Some won't like the truth. Maybe I could get some PR company to write that all things are rosy and we are shipping to all buyers in two weeks. All right, I want to stop there because he's calling out public relations here and that's what I do for a living. And I want to say that uh, Mike is pretty much admitting here somewhat of a Ponzi scheme marketing approach of his company. Because what he's not saying here, it's, Mike, it's okay to continue to sell your game to new people and get new orders in. What's not okay, and this is what you're doing, Mike, this isn't PR, rosy, bullshit spin. What you're doing is you're taking new money and you're sending new games to that new money before you ship the games to the people that already bought the product. That is a Ponzi scheme method of dealing with a company that the people who, whose money you already have aren't getting your product. And the only ones getting paid out are the, 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 the most recent investors who are quickly pulling them out with a game. So that's bullshit, Mike. That's the part that has people pissed off at you. And that's the thing that they saw with Andrew Highway. It's the, it's the stuff they saw you know, with, with Jersey Jack. When Jersey Jack was struggling financially, go back and look at what was happening. And he's still doing it today, Jack. He's still taking new dollars over uh, existing order money that he's had. People can still cut the line on Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm hearing about it all the time. So Mike goes on to say, I could just walk away from the whole thing. And to be frank... I really don't know why I didn't a couple of years ago. However, things are looking up at the moment, so we will get there. Just not as quickly as some, including myself, would like. My offer for anyone still whining is there. Um, come and show me how to do it better. Challenge is out there. I'm far from perfect, but I'm doing the very best I can. And if that isn't good enough for some, well, that's bad luck for them. Well, Mike, as a PR professional, I just want to clap right now. What a great way to talk to people. What a great way to talk to the community. What a great way to instill confidence in the people who, who gave you their hard-earned money. All right. Now, let me, let me break it down for you, Mike. I, I will take you up on that challenge. I do know how to do it better than what you did, all right? You didn't have to spend five years, all right? You didn't have to spend five fucking years making a theme, 
that nobody really wants except a few like Aussies. You didn't have to build an entire factory in China. You didn't have to do any of that shit. You know what you could have just done? You could have just fucking made a total nuclear annihilation type of game and sold 500 of them and then moved on to game number two and made like, you know, half a million dollars in profit and started a pinball company the right way. Instead, you had this grand vision that you knew what you were doing. You blew by every single timeline, every single deadline. You made a game that, you know, people, when they review it, it gets mediocre at best reviews. And all, all the whole time, you've been talking shit to everybody. You've been complaining and you've been basically, you know, you, like every pinball manufacturer who's failed before, you're falling into the same hole. You're not taking somebody for the fact that you failed to deliver what you said and you failed to deliver when, you know, what you said people would get um, after they paid you money. And now you're taking new people's money and you're not getting old people their orders. And the very people that supported you from the very beginning, the people in Australia still don't have their fucking games. So yeah, Mike, that's how you do it better. Let me, this, this whole notion that transparency and, and, and Mike's like hard Aussie truth is like, is like, is like, is doing any good here. I, it's all bullshit. You know, I, I don't really understand um, why a lot of these people, and I put them all in the same boat, Andrew, uh, Barry, Yop, Mike, they all have the similar trait, J-pop, the same type of traits. They're very bullish. They have a lot of ego. They never admit they fucking made a mistake. It's always like, you know, things didn't happen the way they envisioned, but they never, ever blame themselves for what happened. It's never their fault. And yet they're in charge of these companies. Every single decision that led to the issues they're facing was their decision. And no one made them do it this way. And yet, again, like I said with American Pinball, all these failed companies just don't do their fucking homework. It's not that hard. If you want to be a big scale company, you've got Stern to mirror yourself after. Look at everything they have to do to do what they do and get games out the way they get games out. If you want to start small in the pinball industry, you've got Spooky Pinball to look at. And look at how they've done it and how they slowly built up a company. Nope. You want to have a factory in China. You want to make games. You want to like become a player in the pinball industry and and then what and then what and then you all you're doing is like yelling at people i mean look i'm just gonna say it do you really think home pin is gonna survive and i'm here to tell you on this episode of canada's pinball podcast put them on the list of companies that will not make it in the pinball world all right i i, I they are not gonna survive Okay, this is this is not a company that is going to get on to game two and three. You know, they might try to squabble together a game two out of pride. But if everything that Wayne has said is true, these guys are hemorrhaging money, hemorrhaging. You can't you can't have 20 people. You can't have a factory. You can't have all this stuff and you can't even make like 20 games a month hemorrhaging money. It's going to be over. All right. All right. All right, so sorry guys. I know I'm a little bit of a tangent. Let, let, let's go on to, let me get all like the, 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 the bad news out of the way. So I know I was a little bit strident on American Pinball last time. And I know I, I, I sort of ripped into them for not doing their homework. 
but I believe in what I said. And, you know, when I look at these companies and someone, and you know, people are starting to realize this on pin side and on the pinball, in the pinball world, the, the, the saturation level, the amount of games we have to choose from is awesome. But that means there's no room for fucking mediocrity. There's no room for games where you feel like you're compromising things you want. And if you're going to survive in a climate like this where there's ultra competition now, do people not realize that there is more competition now than there was in the Bally Williams Data East Stern days and Gottlieb, right? There's more manufacturers of pinball. There's more pinball games that are that are being aimed at the same target at collectors right it's different when you're just making games for operators and a game can flop but it's okay because three of your other games have been doing well and they've been out for a year it's so much different right right now every game needs to to work you can't release a flop in 2018 or you can't release something that doesn't look good next to the competitive set okay and so my whole thing is this, and I said this from the very beginning. You can go back and listen to my older podcast. I said that if they pick Oktoberfest and as a theme, that they will struggle tremendously and that Oktoberfest could bankrupt this company and could just send them into obsolescence. And I encouraged them not to pick Oktoberfest. They did. They showed the game at Expo, okay? They showed the game at Expo. Obviously, there was a lot of like debate back and forth on whether or not the game like looked good. Uh, it, it had some interesting mechs. We saw a recycling of, of a mech already from Houdini in game two. You know, it doesn't have like the kind of like sexy Oktoberfest appeal people want. I mean, someone just uploaded a Hitler video making fun of that. But if I zoom out a little bit, and this is not personal, but if you look at Oktoberfest, do you see a game that you think is going to sell and sell well in 2018, 2019, knowing what is available to people out in the world? Okay. And that is a problem for them. It's not a problem for me. It's not a problem for you. It's a problem for them. They have a pinball company. This is what they believe is, is good enough to be out there in 2018, 2019. And, and I'm just here to say, like, look, the, you know, I don't, I don't own a pinball company, but I'll tell you this. If I did, I would always make sure my games looked good. I would always make sure my games shot good. And I would always make sure my games were fun to play. And I think there's just very fundamental things that I think Oktoberfest is, is, is not hitting the mark on. And I also think that they are going to struggle tremendously to get you excited about the game again. Because here's what's going to happen in a little over like three to four weeks. You are going to see the Munsters pinball from Stern. And the Munsters pinball from Stern has been seen by people that I trust. There are images of the Munsters play field out there. All right, and I know individuals who have looked at it. They tell me they're looking at it and they're being really good and not sharing it with me. But they're telling me basically, Chris, like it's 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 got a lot in it. It's still a Borg design, they say, but it's got a lot in it. 
and it's going to do really well and it's going to sell tremendously for Stern and it looks phenomenal and all that. So when a beautiful Munster's pinball machine comes out with lower play field, Christopher Franchi art, amazing like cabinet, beautiful LCD animations, when all this happens and the Munster's premium is the same price as Oktoberfest premium, or sorry, there's just Oktoberfest, right? What's going to happen? What's going to happen when you can get Monster Bash remake with the nice display for the same price as Oktoberfest? one of the greatest games of all time. You know, what's going to happen when you can even go get a used dialed in and Hobbit and Wizard of Oz for the same price as Oktoberfest? You know, I think people forget too. It's it's like Oktoberfest needs, you literally need, if you're a new pinball company, you need your game to be, um, you know, one of the greatest, most unexpected things people have seen in a long time because you're just not going to get much sales. If, if you don't do it otherwise. And again, like I think American Pinball has higher aims than Spooky um, with sales of these games because they're putting way more into their games than Spooky is, yet they're not really charging much more, okay? And I think it all comes down to one very simple thing. I think the companies that struggle, I don't think they have leadership at the top that has a vision for what they want in these pinball games. Remember, the leaders at American Pinball, they believed in John Papaduke. Like they literally let John Papaduke sit there for a year and do nothing, right? They shipped out those games the way they were. Like Davil, like does, can Davil stand over a pinball machine and know what makes a great pinball machine? And, and, and that's something that you need to have as a leader of a pinball company. You know, I even questioned that with Jersey Jack. Like, can Jack stand over a machine? And does Jack have a vision for his machines um, that, you know, where he understands how to sell and what to do to make a game of mass appeal? And I, and I do. I question whether or not Jack has that skill set. And I think the leaders, the, here's the thing about leadership. You have to lead the people on your team and make decisions that keep those individuals uh, all focused on your vision for the game. And I think, and it's the same issue I have with Jersey Jack. It's like they just let, like, let Keith go crazy to the point where like everything's way too complex. You know, jam so much into Pirates of the Caribbean where like it's kind of like not cohesive. It's just all this stuff just dropped in. And it, it doesn't seem to have like a creative vision, right? And maybe what I'm getting at is I think the creative director role is probably the most important in any pinball company nowadays to getting it right. All right. All right. I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent. Guys, it's Friday. Let's get back to some good stuff. How about this? You can go buy a Big Bang bar on Pinside today for the reduced price of $17,250. Uh, there is a gentleman selling his Big Bang bar that looks beautiful with different artwork um, framed from the artist. There's even like a big spaceship that he was hanging above his game room for $17,250. Maybe he saw the Beatles pricing and was like, oh, now's my time to sell this. Um, but here's the thing. Everyone knows that Chicago Gaming Company is going to make Big Bang Bar. How do we know? Because they told us already. And when they make Big Bang Bar over again with LED lights, with better, you know, 
display with an amazing topper. It, it's it, literally, and it'll be like eight grand. So you've got to kind of want to have Big Bang Bar now to spend almost $9,000 more than a version that will actually be better than this game. And I'm, you know, and the thing too is this, Big Bang Bar, it, you know, if there was no new games coming out, it would hold value nicely. This is a good example of a game uh, that I would not want to try and sell for a lot of money right now because of the, of the fact that it's going to be remade. And Chicago Gaming Company will be successful. They will sell a ton of monster bashes. The only thing is how many years will it take? You know, Cactus Canyon might be next. It might be Theater of Magic. It might be Circus Voltaire. It might be Big Bang Bar. Like, Big Bang Bar could be, like, you know, 10 years from now or 7 years from now. And and maybe 7 years from now is too long to wait because maybe the whole pinball hobby will collapse by then if the economy tanks. Who knows, right? All I'm saying is I, I just would never be able to spend that much on a big bang bar just because you'll never you just you're just you just know it's going to tank. I think a big bang bar now is probably worth closer to $12,000. I got to be honest. And I don't think that extra stuff adds value. All right. Let's go on to what else is going on. So coin taker versus J-pop. So this thread was just posted up and I wanted to uh, let you know about it because Chris Marquette is a friend of mine and I think this has been something that a lot of people haven't been aware of. But I want to make all of you aware of this. So when John Papaduke was doing his Zidware experiment, you know, making Raza, making Magic Girl, making Alice in Wonderland, uh, Chris and Melissa at Cointaker invested heavily in John's venture, heavily. Like they bought a ton of Razas. Uh, they gave John a lot of money. The other thing they gave John a lot of was parts and LEDs and things for him uh, to use to make the games, okay? And they are out a lot of money for all of that stuff they gave John. So they were a vendor of Zidware. And so Chris put up a post today basically saying, well, what, what, what happens now? What happens now? What happens? Because all the vendors were not paid by Deep Root uh, to clear the air and make room for like a new era of John Papadou games. And so how do you how do you then, if you're Deep Root, go sell Magic Girl and Raza and all the stuff that was designed and developed with money that came from people like Chris? And it's still a very sticky, icky situation. And I think it still is a, a quagmire that Deep Root needs to figure out because I don't think this is over. And I don't think it just goes away. You don't get to be John and take all this money from people and all your debts are just absolved because some new financial guy is backing you and then that absolves your old debts. And I would also say that the other thing contractually that is also very interesting that everyone out there should know about is that there is a contract that says that the IP rights of Magic Girl and the Zidware stuff does not shift over to John unless John delivered a working magic girl to Bill Brandis and the Pantasia folks who also sank a ton of money into John and, and clearing his debts. 
All right. Now, we all saw Magic Girl. Do you think that John made good on his part of the contract and delivered to Bill working Magic Girls? All right. So at any time that Bill wants to flex his muscle, let me tell you something. Bill's got more muscle both financially and physically than anyone at Deep Root. Anytime Bill wants to flex his muscle and maybe, you know, help out coin taker or decide to like put a halt to what's going on, he could. I don't think he will. I don't think he, I think he's done with this chapter. I think he's moved on. But I'm just saying that John Papaduke, as much as I think he's super talented, I just still think there's there's things that need to be settled that aren't settled. And I do think Cointaker needs to come to some sort of resolution with Deep Root. And as a community, right? When you guys go on to Pinside and you say, as a community, we're going to defend Todd Tucky and we're going to, you know, don't, don't wrong one of our own. Well, Chris Marquette is one of you and Cointaker is one of your own. And he was taken advantage of by John Papaduke. And I do think that he deserves some restitution. And I hope they find... Uh, a very amicable solution to this whole thing. And I hope they will. And I'm confident they will. I, I really do. I think Robert wants Deep Root to get off the ground in the right way. And I don't think he wants a lot of this stuff spoiling that. All right. Let's go on. Batman has a new code update, 1.0. Uh, and in it, interestingly enough, after two years of waiting, the SLE owners have now been told that there will be custom SLE speech and callouts coming in a future code update. And it was kind of strange the way you have to email Stern with your serial number of your game and what your name is. And that's all we know. Like they're not telling us how we're going to get the code. Is it going to be a USB stick? Is it going to be like a web cargo downloadable file? There's a lot of speculation as to how will the game know whose game is who. Um, is the game programmed to recognize the serial number of each game? Or is the computer like coded where it knows that this game is this person's um, call out? Okay, I got really lucky, really lucky because I bought my Super LE from Chris Marquette and we have the same name. Now, I keep reading all these gentlemen on Pinside trying to figure out, well, how do we like, how do we get that custom LE, you know, SLE speech? And I'm just here to ask you guys, can't we just, can't we just have something that makes this game somewhat worth $15,000? Do you have to try and steal it from us? We've waited two years. All we wanted was to hear Adam West call out our name. Do you really want to steal that from us? Do you deserve it? You didn't pay $15,000 for this pinball machine. Can't the SLE guys just have their differentiator, right? Like like the Daft Punk multi-ball and Tron LE. I didn't see people trying to steal that or rip the code over. Can't we just have our moment? Please, stop trying to figure it out, all right? Let us have our custom callouts. But more to come on what exactly will be in the game. See, I don't think there's going to be a lot. I think there's going to be some, you know, 
get you know get to the bat phone chris i don't know what they exactly how they did the call outs but i, I think you know we have all the names they're gonna they're gonna call out i also probably think there's gonna be some like holy super limited edition batman like we're gonna get one of those from like robin or something so i think it's just gonna be a few little trinkets like that but it is amazing to me how just a little bit goes a long way and just feeling like you have something a little bit that differentiates your game that's beyond just artwork right all right what else is happening in the pinball world hold on i lost my notes for a second god you guys are like you guys are gonna have to put up with a little pause here all right so i got that batman code uh jersey jack um the code updates on hobbit 3.0 uh, they seem to be pretty difficult. If you're having difficulty updating your Hobbit to 3.0, I feel your pain. I've been trying to read on the uh, pin side thread exactly how one does it. You have to like save your existing settings to a USB on a clear USB stick, then upload it. It seems like eight steps to make one step. I don't know. I will say this. Updating Stern games is really easy. It really is. I have had never had an issue with updating a Stern game. You download the code, you put it on a USB, you stick it in, the game prompts you, you up you update it, you're good. All right. All right, there's also another for you high-end collectors out there. There is a rare Viper Night driving or driven night driving game the, the viper game sorry the old sega viper game this is really cool though so at first this guy uploads i have a rare prototype of viper uh and it's twenty thousand dollars and everyone's like you're out of your fucking mind and then he uploads photos and it actually is like a completely different game like different artwork different center mechanism it, it, it's a true true like prototype i haven't really seen a game where the prototype was so significantly different than the final game so that definitely is a very very rare item but twenty thousand dollars is a lot a lot a lot of money um but it is unique and it is like probably like one of a kind and and i think that's a really cool sort of pinball museum kind of item and when we talk about the price of games and what's worth collecting, I think if you're, if you're someone who collects very rare things that have a story attached to it, this is definitely one of them. And I have no problem asking a lot of money like this for something that really is genuinely a rare one-of-one one, like experience within pinball not only does it have a story it wasn't designed originally to be a collectible rare thing it was just a prototype um but also when you play it it's it's going to play like no other viper because there's no other vipers out there like it and i think it's really cool um now when you're selling something like this at twenty thousand dollars your pool of potential buyers is so tiny i mean you've got to want you need someone who really wants to have something like this. It's like when people buy rare Whitewood versions of games before the, you know, before the game is even finished. Um, games like these, where they belong, I believe are, are places that have like pinball museums. Uh, and so pinball museum curators are probably looking at something like this as, as something they might want to potentially buy. Uh, but 20 grand is just a lot. But I think, th I think it's cool. I think there's nothing else to say, but I can understand why it's priced that high. I can understand it's really cool, but I can also walk away and just say, well, it's really not for me. Now, speaking of like walking away and just saying, it's really not for me, I don't understand 
why people can't do that in the Beatles thread. And, and I've been reading it, and you've all been reading it, and the Beatles, again, it, it is what it is. Again, I, the same people are in there all day long who are not going to buy it. You know, people actually thought I was lying on my last podcast when I said Iceman just bought one. Iceman bought a Beatles. And he, is, he has done what some are calling the greatest flip-flop in pinball history. And so what do I think about Iceman leading a crusade against this game to then buying it just like four or five days later? Um, here's my thoughts on the whole thing. These guys on Pinside are not to be taken super seriously. Right, and it's why Stern and other manufacturers don't take them seriously. Because how can you take a personality like Iceman too seriously? And I'm not saying it like I think Iceman's a joke. I just mean this: these guys are obsessed with pinball. They're on there all day long. They emotionally respond to every single thing that goes on every single day, and they pick a side. When a new game is revealed, they simply pick a side of whether or not I'm a fan or whether or not I'm a hater. And they usually like argue on that side uh, regardless of what happens for the first few days, right? So it's very much like political parties. And they're going to argue. you got like Iceman is arguing against the game. He had Hilton arguing with him against the game. Then you had Crazy Levy on the other side saying maybe we should give this game a chance. I don't see the problem with it. And so then the thread becomes nothing but a small group of people arguing with each other. And this is one of the problems with Pinside is when you really want to go into these threads and just find out news on the games, you have to sort of weed through pages of a small minority of people all having a debate with each other. It's almost as if these like six to eight people are in an AOL chat room just writing back and forth. And But the problem is it's not a chat room. It's a forum. And they don't just say something once. They say it 50 times and they say it over and over again. Okay, so Ice is like leading the charge against the Beatles and then he buys one. So here's my thing. I Good. Good for Iceman. Does this mean that people won't take him seriously in the future when he says something? Of course it does. But it's also that people don't ever really take anything he says very seriously. All right. They don't ever take anything Crazy Levy says very seriously. They don't ever take anything Hilton says very seriously because the hyper posters on Pinside are always forgiven for their hypocritical behavior simply because we all deep down inside know a few things about these individuals. Here's what we know about them. We all know that deep down inside, these are just like decent guys, right? They're not like assholes. They're not like losers. They're not like this and that. They're just like decent dudes that just happen to be overly obsessed with pinball. And so that leads them to behave in a way on pin side that is so stupid, like so childlike, so inconsistent, so emotionally charged. But it's also what makes pin side at times very fun to read, right? It makes, without, without the cast of characters, um, you would have like that Rex game pinball like Google thread that's going on, which is like boring as fuck. So you can't have it both ways. Uh, it's cool to see people so into pinball. I'm happy Ice is getting his Beatles. Uh, but if I'm Gary Stern and George Gomez, you, you look at a guy like that, you're like, man, it, see, this is why we don't even need to fucking bother. 
Like every time he cries, we don't listen. And every time he buys, we don't listen because we've got him anyway. We're the drug dealers and he's the addict. And that's just the way the story will always go. All right. Anything else happening? I want to talk a little bit about the top 10 worlds under glass and all that stuff. I'll I'll just quickly run down the list of top 10 worlds under glass. This is a great episode by by Greg and Zach. And and they have continued to make what I think is the best uh, pinball content on YouTube. It's entertaining. uh, It's it's thought-provoking. But it's most importantly, it's very well thought out. Right when Zach and Greg uh, give you their opinion, it's well thought out. It's no bullshit. Like they're honest about it, uh, and they 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 support their opinions, whether you like it or not. I think they give a convincing argument. So here are their top ten worlds under glass. And again, a world under glass is a very subjective thing. For me, my definition of a world under glass is very simple. It is this. It is the theme that the game is about is represented on the play field right in 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 ways that bring the key elements of that world to life and i would also consider it to be in in three-dimensional ways that world is brought to life so you see something and it triggers the key things that that world is all about. So for example, if I'm looking at a Back to the Future pinball machine, I need to see a three-dimensional DeLorean. I need to see the clock tower. I need to see the Pepsi Perfect. I need to see, um, you know, I'm trying to think what else is like the main elements, you know, like the, the big, maybe the big guitar speaker. I need to see, um, you know, basically I would love to see like the world of like Hill Valley, like recreated as much as possible. I need to see the sports almanac. I need to see the Nike sneakers, you know, that whole world is there under the glass, all right? Okay, so here are their top 10 in descending order. Number 10 is the Flintstones. Number nine is Stern Ghostbusters. Number eight is Jersey Jack Pirates of the Caribbean. Number seven is Popeye. Number six is Fire. Number five is The Simpsons. Number four is Lord of the Rings. Number three is Medieval Madness. Number two is White Water. And number one is Woz, Wizard of Oz. Okay, now, I, 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 have, I don't disagree that any of those... Uh, Uh, with any of those on that list. I think all of those pinball machines do a great job creating a world under glass. Uh, If I were to add a few that I think recently look like an incredible world under glass um, and, and, and that bring that theme's world to life under glass, I would definitely say the Big Lebowski. I've always thought the Big Lebowski was probably the coolest. Like you look at that pin and you're like, man, this is Lebowski. It's got the bowling alley. It's, it, it's got the carpet. It's, it's got all the main elements of the Big Lebowski world under that class. Um, you know, sadly, like, I don't think most games do bring much of a world under glass uh, to life the way they should. Like, I'm even looking at Batman 66 right now. There, I don't think Batman 66 brings Batman 66 world to life under glass at all. Like, hardly at all. In fact, if it were not for... If, if Think about it. If you look at Batman 66, if it were not for all the cool mods that other people made and all the just the, you know, the meaningless things that were stuck on, you really only have, this is kind of crazy, you only have a crane that has nothing to do with Batman 66 and you have a turntable that has nothing to do with Batman 66, right? There, there's absolutely nothing that jumps out and says like, 
that's from the show other than really other than the artwork which again is amazing and pulls you into the world but again that's why a world under glass needs to have more than just art um okay so my dream and the thing i hope for is that deep root and the other pinball manufacturers out there really work hard to give us that world under glass because i think it's what people want all right so speaking of like top 10 world under glass, so we're going to end with this. It's like everything, everywhere I look nowadays, it's top 10 this, top 10 that, top 10 everything. I feel like when you run out of like stuff to talk about, you just fall back on like listicles. Like that's what every like internet site uses for like clickbait. And I couldn't help but laugh on like this week in pinball, uh, you know, the, like how many top 10 lists can we get, right? It's like these are actual top 10 lists from this week in pinball. We've got the top 10 smoothest shooting flowiest games, the top 10 Pat Lawler designs, the top 10 games under $2,000, the top 10 toys in pinball machine, the top 10 bash toys in a pinball machine, top 10 pinball themes, um, top 10 favorite pinball designers, the top 10 wizard modes in a pinball machine, top 10 limited edition pinball machines. I mean, come on, Jeff. We, we You've given us so much now that we've actually passed over to the point where we can get the top 10 list of this week in pinball's top 10 list right you know what i should do i should do like the top 10 best marty laugh tracks coming in at number 10 <laughs> and at number nine we have <laughs> now i debated a long time with people about number eight but after a lot of analysis had to go with this one for number eight. <laughs> Stop it. I sound like I'm going to the toilet. Well, that was episode 283, ladies and gentlemen, of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Have a great Friday. Enjoy your weekends, and we'll be back real soon with more Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm really happy for you.